challenges to remember that God is all there is. How do you apply spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. Hi, and welcome to Say Yes to Spirit. So, so glad you have joined us today. And uh, every week on Say Yes to Spirit, we have a theme. This week our theme is forgiveness. Forgiveness? Forgiveness. What do you need to be forgiving people for? What do you need to be forgiven for? I thought you were going to say, what do I need to be forgiven for? It's like, oh, I have to leave. And there's too much. There's too long of a list. I can't go there. What does it mean to forgive and forget? If you say yes to spirit, is there anything to forgive? Does spirit forgive? Who knows where we will go with this? We haven't done forgiveness in a, the topic forgiveness in a long time. <laughs> we haven't been forgiving in forever. Yeah, I think the last time we did this topic was two years ago. Wow. So, um, so that's our theme for today, and. Um, if you would like to comment or you have suggestions or you have a connection between forgiveness and saying yes to spirit, then please dial in at area code 347-850-1523. We'd love to hear your comments today. We'll also open the chat room in a little bit. So if you want to... Uh, That's very high tech. If you want to just uh, <laughs> type in a comment or a question... Uh, we'll be able to include that as well. But before we go into our theme for the week, we always connect the dots with our previous theme, which was suffering. Oh, you know, this is good. This is very, very good. And and I do love that connection the dots. Suffering and forgiveness. I had a volunteer. I worked at Dallas County Women's Jail some, and a volunteer in a class that we did on anger management and she said when I don't forgive someone it's like me taking poison and expecting that to die it was funny because I've heard that about being angry at someone who doesn't really but the idea of not forgiving someone how that causes me to <coughs> suffer yeah it doesn't do anything really to that other person exactly so the um, idea of suffering is created when I choose not to forgive. There's my connected odds. And a good one it is. Oh, my, my, my. Thank you, Tracy Brown. <laughs> so hang with us. Uh, get a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of tea. Just stretch your legs. We'll be back in one minute with Say Yes to Spirit talking today about forgiveness. Welcome back. This is Say Yes to Spirit, and our theme today is forgiveness. <laughs> and she stares at me. Yes, forgiveness. Where would you like to go with Where would forgiveness. you like to start with this? Forgiveness. I will say there is one ground rule. Uh-oh. That's the thing I'll have to start with, breaking first, right away. Why bother telling me? Go ahead. We're not going to talk about self-forgiveness. 
<laughs> because what happens when we start talking about forgiveness and then we get into self-forgiveness, self-forgiveness would be a completely separate oh, show. Oh, wow. And that's what we had to do the last time because we spent so much time on forgiveness and really we were talking about self-forgiveness. So we're going to focus on oh. forgiveness, forgiving others, mm. and uh, and w- the conversation about spirit and forgiveness. But we're not going to talk about self forgiveness. Well, okay. Well, what, 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 what is it all connected? Everything is connected. <laughs> Everything we talk about is connected. True. That. There's no frustration there. Yes. Right. Yes. All right, all right, all right, all right. No self, no self forgiveness. All right, all right, all right. Well, you weren't getting ready. You know, the first thing I think about, but now that is all I'll think about the entire hour. Um, The first thing I think about is, um, again, talking about the women in in, uh, Dallas County Jail. There seems to be a, a large theme that they talk about wanting God to forgive them. And, um... I often ask them the question, what will it look like when God forgives you? Mm-hmm. Great how, question. How will that look? How do you? How will you know when you've been forgiven by God? And um, and I think that's such an interesting thing. And then and then the follow up question that is that is is how will I feel if I feel I've been forgiven by God? And so it's such a fascinating thing. It's like if I've done something that I feel I need forgiveness for, and then I'm looking to some external source to give that to me, whether it be God or a partner or a mother or a sister or a friend, and it's just kind of coming to me as I'm thinking about this, then all this power is given outside. I'm waiting for you to then re-acknowledge my value. Yes. Because if I've done something that is wrong and I've asked for forgiveness and I'm making amends in real time if I can or I'm making living amends in terms of changing my behavior in future times, that's pretty much all I can do. Right. But I, I know this desperate feeling, this desperate anxiety of wanting the other person to say, you're forgiven. And I know the feeling of not being able to breathe until I know you forgive me. And I think that's such an interesting concept. And it's funny that women many times can't answer those two questions. Of a, how they'll know that God's forgiven them, and B, what they'll feel like. And so it's almost like keeping ourselves in a state of not being forgiven is another way to kind of re-victimize, you know, stay in that victim state. You know, it's really interesting because um, in many religious settings, from the foundation, it is set up that you must be forgiven. If you are a sinner, you must be forgiven. So this idea that God will forgive you because you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and you, and Jesus Christ, the Christ has already died for your in repentance for your sins. And isn't that the crux of Christian belief that I'm forgiven? It's not like even in that in that formula of that belief system, there's not a belief that God goes back and forth. You're forgiven now. You're not. Yes, you are. Now you're not. You know, you don't have to be re-forgiven, do you? <laughs> the idea Jesus died for your sins. Therefore, if I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, then I am forgiven, period. I go and rape someone. I go and kill someone. I ask, you know, I'm still forgiven, right? Every time, every time in that scenario, every time I recommit to Jesus, recognizing Jesus as my Savior, mm-hmm. then my sins are forgiven. But, yes, the the, con, the conceptual piece is that God, mm-hmm. this entity mm-hmm. called God, <clears throat> forgives you as long as you, as long there's a condition, as long as you accept Jesus Christ. But it's, it's fascinating because that concept of wanting to be forgiven from this entity or from a friend or from anything, it, it does seem very um, 
it seems palatable. It seems like there's a real energetic exchange. Well, that's interesting, especially when you said, but the women in the jail often can't answer the question. If I seek forgiveness from God, how will I know? How will I know I have? And how will I feel? Right. And what will I, the third question that came to mind for me when you were saying that was, and what will I do differently now that I have been forgiven? Mm. Right, how will that change me? And maybe that is a, a part of the connection, too, around forgiveness that, you know, so if we look at the at the traditional Catholic church where you go in for confession, you know, you've been, your sins have been forgiven, but mm-hmm. when you behave in a way that not that is not in alignment with your commitment, then you go for confession, mm-hmm. you know, Father, forgive me for I have sinned, and you tell, tell what the sin is, and basically it's a recommit and a re-forgiveness process. And mm. so... Okay. That being forgiven by God and that committing to be, I am, I know I am reborn, if so, not in the Catholic Church, but back in traditional Christianity, I get baptized. I'm baptized in the Spirit and and I commit my life to God. I commit my life to following the Ten Commandments. When I break a commandment, I ask for forgiveness knowing it has already been granted. In some ways, it's kind of like the the circle that almost doesn't make sense because if I'm forgiven and I'm forgiven completely, then, you know, then why does it matter? But if I'm forgiven and I commit, I'm reborn, I'm baptized and I'm reborn, Mm -hmm. I am reborn to the commitment to follow the Ten Commandments, for example, So when I fail to follow the Ten Commandments, I have not met my side of the commitment. So I think that's why people then ask for forgiveness again and they recommit. They are reborn. You know, Joel Goldsmith, in his writing... Love him. Do you really? He's an absolutist. I love him. Really? I love all absolutists. No, you don't. Not when they absolutely (laughs) say stuff you don't agree with. That, I do yeah, love him. I though. would actually. I'm surprised. Yeah. Uh huh. Really? Yeah. Oh. I would think you would be challenging I some of his. I did an autobiography on him in one of my classes at the Center for Spiritual Living Dallas, and I didn't find anything I didn't like about him. Really? Wow. That's. I'll have to look again. <laughs> so anyway, one of the things that it, a lot of different authors write about this in one way or another, but Joel Goldsmith has a quote that is about being willing and making a commitment to dying daily. Yes. And that, you know, dying daily concept of whatever I did today is now done. And when I wake up in the morning, right, I recommit right. to live a good life, to follow the universal spiritual principles, to follow the Ten Commandments, to follow whatever that my path has laid out for me. And in that sense, it's like there is nothing to forgive because you let that go Mm -hmm. and you step into the next thing. You know, there's, um, I remember years and years ago in in 12-step programs, someone saying that if I'm living completely in my program, as defined by 12 steps, then ultimately there nothing can happen that I will need to forgive for. Because no one can injure me if I'm completely living in my program. I'm, I'm not in a space that someone could harm me in a way that I would need to forgive them. Because I would be in such a spiritual space. And I always... But that was kind of an interesting concept. And even if someone, you know, did something physically harming or, you know, something, you know, tangibly, if I'm completely in spirit, then I would 
see the higher picture of all that or that, you know, it wouldn't affect me in a way that I would need to forgive. I was always kind of fascinated by that idea. I think I believe it, but I always kind of went back and forth on it. And um, then recently we had a volunteer, another volunteer at the jail. Look at all the volunteers at the jail. If you want to volunteer for the jail at Dallas County Jail, you should somehow let me know on the website. It's an interesting thing to do, but... Um, she does a forgiveness workshop in the world, and I've been to every workshop known to man, and it was really interesting to me. She had a little twist at the end that I was really fascinated by, and I enjoyed being fascinated. She went through kind of the stages of talking about, and I thought this was interesting. I don't know if exactly that I agree with this, but she said in order to have true forgiveness on a human term, you have to ask for forgiveness, and the other person has to feel remorseful. I don't know. Who knows if I agree with that? But anyway, I thought that was interesting. I don't like that word, remorseful. But anyway, um, so she went through down this path, and as she went through the path of forgiving on a human level and forgiving on your personal level that we're not talking about, and then she came up on the other side, and she came away with this little twist that said, again, kind of like the 12-step thing, that it, within spirit, if I'm living a spirit life, then there's nothing to forgive. Mhm. And so you just you just blanketly say, mhm, like that's it. You believe it. You're all in. Oh yeah, Ernest Holmes talks about that a lot in Science of Mind. Yeah. Just like there's nothing to heal, only truth to reveal. Mhm. There is nothing to forgive because if you truly believe in divine action, mhm, and that the law is always working, mhm, and divine order, mhm then everything is happening exactly the way it's supposed to. Why would I forgive that? I may be angry about that, but that had to happen to show me something about myself or something about the world or to move me, get me angry enough to quit my job mm-hmm. because I didn't need to be there. Or the I was the car accident happened and made me late for the plane, and then that plane crashes and I wasn't on it even though I had a ticket. I mean, you know, if you if I, if you really believe, in divine order, divine action, and the law is always working, there is absolutely nothing to forgive. Nothing can be happening that is not happening in a way that is moving me on my path to my best and highest good. So even these things that create all these quote-unquote negative outcomes in my life, are still moving me towards my highest good. If if I truly believe. Right, no, I believe that. Right. But yeah, I just yeah. think it's worth repeating. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. like if I truly believe. Right. And that's also why in Science of Mind we teach that forgiveness is really a human quality experience. It is not an experience of God because God knows there's nothing to forgive. God doesn't have to forgive anyone or anything because God made everything perfectly and God can see the perfection and how it is all interacting and so God doesn't have any need to forgive anyone. Mm -hmm. But we are in in our Judeo-Christian society we think of it's like you started out with you know God being this entity you know, all powerful, all good, all of that, but in judgment. And in science of mind, we, you know, that's the impersonal part side of the law that there is no judgment. There is only love, and there is only perfection. And so, if, um, and I, I do think that is correct. It's a human creation, the idea of forgiveness. And I'm pondering now back to the original idea that 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 that, that, that there's a power exchange in that 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 somehow there's you know um, if I'm looking for forgiveness from someone else I can't talk about self forgiveness you won't let me talk about self forgiveness so um, so uh, th- but there's something that there's some some thing that I'm looking to get that I can feel better, but if I can't give that to myself, which we're not talking about, um, you know, then that power source always stays outside of me, whether it be God in the sky or you or my friend or 
you know, that I don't feel whole unless I have your blessing or well, your Well, yeah, I think there's that, 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 I think in the human, in humanity and in our human interactions, there is, there is power in forgiveness in us forgiving others and in us being forgiven. But I don't confuse that with God forgiving me or, you know, because of the, it's the in the human experience that we do have hurt feelings or that we do have physical hurt because we are having a human the human experience and every emotion on the emotion scale as human beings it's okay for us to have them. Mm-hmm. So if I say or do something and someone is really hurt or harmed by that, do I want them to forgive me? Yes, from the human perspective, and at the same time on the spiritual perspective, I do know there's really nothing to forgive, that everything is happening perfectly. But if I say something or do something that makes your life more difficult, unintentionally especially, then I am likely to ask for your forgiveness. That that was I didn't intend for you to feel that way, or I didn't say that thing in order to hurt your feelings, or I didn't, um, you know, I didn't do whatever I did to hurt you or to make your life more difficult. But in the bigger picture of things, if that person doesn't forgive me, if you don't forgive me, it's like okay, I I, I can't make the person the other person forgive me. And I'm going to keep moving on. And that's why if that other person doesn't forgive me and they're holding a grudge and they're mad at me a year later, they've made themselves mad for a whole year. And it's like, I have so let it go. Mm -hmm. So if we don't forgive other people, they're living their lives and we're living the past. Right, we're drinking the poison. Um. You know, as I'm thinking about it, I think it's fascinating, as all things lie in some form of self-esteem on the human level. Um, there's, I, I have experienced two different levels of, of of being wanting forgiveness, that desperate feeling of, I can't live unless you forgive me. That speaks of my self-esteem, that I just am just, you know, bed-stricken if I can't get you to forgive me because my self-esteem is so low, I need that forgiveness to be whole, is very different than a space of I love you so much and I can't believe I said or did. And that is so out of alignment with my heart and I am so sorry. And it comes from a space of genuine love for you Versus needing you to love me for me to have value. Yeah. Two very different yeah. things. That apology that is heartfelt and clear mm-hmm. is an apology, and that's different than seeking forgiveness. I mean, that really is. That mm-hmm. That's a realigning with the relationship, realigning with the love, realigning with, you know, and... And it is if I if if I if any of us if we apologize from that place of authenticity and we mean it, the apology itself is the cleansing, it's the power. Yeah, it, it's the cleansing. And if you say to me, then I forgive you, that's nice. But it was the apology, like the the example you gave us of an apology. It's like when you do that, that has cleansed, mm-hmm. you know, the wound. Mm-hmm. That has, you know, that's that's it from the giving standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether the person accepts it or not, you're right. If if you're really upset because they don't accept the apology, there's not anything you can, you can't control that. You can't control whether they accept the apology or not. You can't control whether they forgive you or not. You have no control over that. Right. And is my is my my side of the street 
either goes on and understands I've done what I can do or I or I have that desperate sort of, you know, seeking it, seeking it, seeking it. And I see the women in jail, you know, kind of seeking and seeking and seeking this forgiveness from God that that has got to be more about something within them than, than God, you know, because ultimately even in the Christian faith, right? All you have to do, like you said earlier, is realign, ask forgiveness once, recommit to Jesus, and you're good. But to continually... And the the recommitting to Jesus then means my behaviors are in line with that. Right. With that recommitment. Right. That I am giving my best effort to behave in a way that Mm -hmm. demonstrates my recommitment in in that way. I and I I do think that sometimes we we miss in that regard because we think, okay, yes, I'm forgiven. Now I can do anything I want. No, I'm forgiven and but my commitment is to walk a path. Right. And to stay in that kind of, you know, my side of the street is clean or living amends or whatever we do to, you know, die every day to give to give ourselves and all around us sort of a new beginning and move forward. And it's fascinating because um, I was working with a woman this morning who is involved in a situation where she uh, left a fiancé 25 years ago, broke off an engagement what, a week before the wedding or something, you know, pretty up to the last minute. And this man still is in love with her 25 years later, yet hasn't forgiven her, and she hasn't forgiven herself for this act that happened 25 years ago. And it was really fascinating, because I kept coming back to, so this was 25 years ago, trying to get it to click in her head at what point does it become enough? At what point do you say, okay, lay down the swords and move on? At what point At what point does it stop being about that act and start being about the choices you're that's making right now right. to hold on to it? And, and that's a fascinating thing, too, because at some point you have like a window of time to authentically, you know, say, hey, I'm sorry. And then beyond, once you've done that, then then the carrying of it becomes the responsibility of each individual. And that takes a lot of energy to carry that for 25 years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you just made me think about um, two things, really. One is that how challenging it is sometimes to forgive and to be forgiven when in with the relationships with people we're the closest to. Oh. So our spouses, our partners, our parents, our brothers, sisters, our children, you know, our that nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Um and in, in your example of course they were about to be nuclear family. Right. Um and and so that I think is is interesting. There's a part of my brain that's just kind of thinking of all these examples of, you know, infidelity in uh, marriages or committed relationships, um, drug abuse, um, things that people do to or with, or I guess sometimes in their mind because of, you know, their parent, their spouse, their child. Um, and you would think that these are the people I'm the closest to, they would be the easiest to forgive. These are the people I've committed to spend my life with, they'd be the easiest to forgive. But maybe because they're also so close, that sense of they should not have hurt me because they mm-hmm. are that close, it makes it harder to forgive. It's like a paradox, mm-hmm. right, with equal pull. It should be the easiest, yet it often seems like it's the hardest. Like, wow. And then the other part of my brain was thinking about, what was I doing 25 years? Like, can I even remember? <laughs> can you like, hold on? Was there someone that I hurt or someone who hurt me 25 or 30, you know, mm-hmm. like 25 plus years ago? 
And so while that side of my brain was trying to think about that, which I guess is the linear thinking, you know, side of my brain, what facts and figures are there from back there? And it's like, wow, I I just couldn't, I could feel my brain reaching, trying to find something. Mm-hmm. And it's like nothing would come up. It is a, it is a phenomenon of time committing to that, feeling of, you know, holding on to it. Is that a resentment? What is the definition of a resentment? I think that's, that's the beginning stage of unforgiveness, right? Like feeling resentful? Yeah, resentment or grudge or, or unforgiveness, mm-hmm. or whatever we call it. Somebody in a, Alan, I mean, once said uh, resentments are really fat because it takes a lot of food and fuel to keep them going, you know. Yes, <laughs> I have to really commit to my resentments because, ah, you know, they take me feeding them to keep them going. Yeah, I think that is a huge part of it because, yeah, you, resentment doesn't just happen. It, it happens. It's the hurts mm-hmm. with the story, with mm-hmm. the story on top of that, with the story on top of that, and the emotional you know, attachment. So I love that image mm-hmm. that resentments are fat cause we, and we, we have to feed them. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they would get skinny and they would just like <laughs> be skinny bones and just, yeah, crazy. If you don't, um, can, can, uh, can you imagine a world where people, you know, I guess, yeah, Finish your sentence, Leslie. That'd be helpful. Um, forgiveness seems to kind of suit the structure of human experience, that there's a right and there's a wrong. There's the thing I'm supposed to do and there's the thing I'm not supposed to do. And so the construct of forgiveness then allows me to have some way to then re-engage with you once I've, quote, unquote, done a wrong. So... I was trying to think of imagining a world where there wasn't a need for forgiveness, where we didn't really have to ask or have to, you know, that it was sort of this free, everybody loved all the time kind of thing. And I thought, well, would that would that um, bring out more people robbing and thieving and, you know, doing things that are hurtful, or would that bring out more just everybody having enough and being forgiven and being loved and being being connected and knowing the oneness. So does the even does the concept of forgiveness create a structure that then demands people to be right or wrong, good or bad? I think that is a very deep pondering. Well, it's clear that they, <laughs> that they feed each other. Mm-hmm. And in the human experience that we live in, that... Sadly. It is choose is the reality. It is the the experience of life that because there are seven billion people <laughs> who each have their own individual experience and expression of God, that you could be doing things that seem to be in conflict with me, mm-hmm. and that could be intentional, but often. You know, I'm surprised at how often it really is not. You know, people are just being who they are, and they have no um, intention. They may even have some idea that they're going against what you would prefer, but they don't really, you know, often, most of the time, people don't have the intention of making somebody else's life difficult. What interests me is, the idea, or not even the idea, because this has happened, and there are dozens of examples. So what interests me is the the concept of forgiveness on the human plane when we have groups of people, identity groups. And, of course, this would interest me because... You know, I Are have you a black whole person? career. Well, I have a whole career around <laughs> diversity and ah. inclusion, uh, let alone an entire lifetime <laughs> yeah. experiencing the world from the lens of an of a black person in America. But yeah, it's like this idea about 
a group yes. that that does choose. So so slavery was not an accident. Right. And there is no doubt that there were intentional decisions made. Yes. So about about how to treat, you know, how white people would treat black people. And so that's really interesting, you know, this idea of, of should and can black people forgive white people? Should white people request an apology or, I mean, offer an apology? Should black people request an apology? And if an apology is given, should that apology be accepted and white people, all white people forevermore be forgiven? <laughs> I mean, you know, and you could do the same thing around any identity group. Should um, people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender forgive heterosexual people for all the intentional and unintentional flights for decades and decades and centuries and centuries? Should people who are who have a disability forgive people who don't? I mean, you know, it's like identity group stuff makes it really interesting um, because we also have to get along in society and work with people or go to church with people or interact in the grocery store with people who are different from us. And coming back to that concept of dying every day, how do we... How does that play out in that? I mean, at what point do we say the past is the past and what are we doing today? And, you know, racism is still very much alive today. So if we're so focused on trying to ask for forgiveness for something that happened 100 years ago, how are we losing sight of the, the quote-unquote, you know, not not physical violence of slavery, but emotional or spiritual or, you know, the different kinds of things that we do today in a racist way, it's almost like we give ourselves permission to to do that because then suddenly, you know, we're not enslaving, right? So it's kind of like... We're not doing the same thing, and and besides, this is a new day, but I'm going to... I'm going to use this language or I'm going to use these racial slurs or I'm going to make this comment and, you know, and that has nothing to do with what happened 200 years ago with my great-great-great-great-great-grandmother. Well, so, yeah, it's that forgiveness creates a cha- creates a challenge on the human perspective because we are living... There is no time and space in God. So we are living mm. the history mm-hmm. even as we are experiencing the the present mm. and creating the future because it's all intermingled. And we still say, like, yes, die every day and start this day fresh from a spiritual perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's a really fascinating concept if we, you know, fully embraced that to let to let all of that um, I don't know what that you know to let to be in that ever flowing river you know I always see of the flow of you know of movement there's a natural flow to the river mm-hmm. and you know much of my life is spent paddling you know upstream or trying to get off this river or trying to do, and if I just relax in the flow of it there's a naturalness to it that kind of allows I guess a natural forgiveness. If it would just be a natural, if I've harmed you, I would just be like, "Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry," and it would just keep going. And and you and your response would be, "I, you know, I accept that apology or thanks I'm, for another I'm, thing, right, yeah, thanks, yeah. right?" And then we would just keep moving right, right along, right? And that's what we expect. I mean, in this context of saying yes to spirit, mm-hmm. when we think of God forgiving us. That's what we expect. We expect that God will hear the words, but more importantly, see and feel the the, the authenticity of the request. I ask to be forgiven. I know that was wrong, and I don't intend to do it again. And that God would say, yes, you are forgiven, and now I can go along my life. And just Smooth. There's no residual holdovers. 
and then back but back to the original example. If that's what we expect and we expect God to say yes you are forgiven mm-hmm. then why don't we know? Why don't the women in the jail know what that would look or feel like? It's because of that thing we're not talking about. <laughs> Self forgiveness. I mean they can't forgive themselves, I believe. That's why. Which of course is that from a science of mind perspective, since God is is internal, right, as well as external, it's God is everywhere, everything. So, so it's not, I'm not believing that God is forgiving me. So, and it and and it is again, you know, it's such a fascinating concept of giving that that power away to someone to say, "I'm forgiven" or "I am not forgiven." And what did uh, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do? You know, it's a fascinating thing. Um, working a lot with women who are addicts, and in the cycle of addiction, there's this fascinating little thing known as accountability <laughs> for our <laughs> actions. Yeah. And when we are gripped in the disease, and what people can't have difficulty sometimes in society of understanding that, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction is a disease. So the fact that I sold my child to get crack cocaine or I drove drunk and killed someone, you know, these horrific things happen as an outpicturing of the disease. And so the balance of being accountable and responsible for the consequences of that action while at the same time understanding that it was the disease and the addiction that was that was taking hold of my behavior at that moment. Yeah. It's a fascinating dance to behold. And, you know, one, people will use, oh, well, I was in my disease, it's not my fault, as a, you know, get out of jail free, so to speak, card. Or two, people mercilessly can't get past an action or something that happened because of their addiction. And so then they recreate every day this kind of life of destruction because they can't let themselves, quote-unquote, off the hook of what happened. So, um, you know, it's a fascinating dance, the dance of accountability and understanding I don't know what I don't know until I know it. And then once I have the awareness, it's a whole other ball of wax when you have an awareness and you have some recovery and whatever it is, whether it be an addiction or an emotional trauma, you know, um, sadly, there's just nothing that I can get away with now because, you know, I'm just so darn smart. You know, I can't say, you know, that that I was out, that I didn't understand what was happening. Even if I choose to be asleep at the moment, you know, sadly, it's still I, I have to accept that it's a choice. And, and, and I'm still accountable. And, and it's almost like a larger a grievance for me if I do something hurtful because I have an awareness of what I, how I could be awake. You know, I, it's not like I'm asleep and I don't know that I'm, what are the different stages? You know, I'm asleep and I don't know that I'm asleep. Right. And then I kind of wake up and I see that I was asleep so that I know when I'm asleep and, you know, that I, and I can't think of all the stages. But there's a point that, you know, I'm asleep and I don't know I'm asleep. It's a whole different level of accountability. But once somebody gives me an awareness, you know, once I get into a spiritual program or therapy or life in general, you know, I get some awareness of how my behavior is affecting others. Someone expresses that to me. You know, I'm fascinated in um, uh, couples counseling. did a lot of couples counseling back in the day. And couples would make agreements, you know, one day on a Thursday at 3 o'clock, okay, here we're going to do these things for the next seven days because I know this hurts you. I now understand that. I hear that. You've expressed that to me in a calm way. I'm going to change this behavior. And, okay, I'm going to do this for the next seven days and I'll do this. So they have a very clear plan because they've expressed and they understand. They love each other and they want to be loved. And they come back the next week and it's like nothing's gone. You know, the managing the behavior wasn't even able to do it for a week. I'm like, wow. So how did, you know, what's that about? When when I know I'm hurting you, when you said this is this behavior hurts me and I continue doing it, wow. That's a well, whole other level. Yeah. You told me, and I've agreed. Mm-hmm. That I'm not going to do. Right. That. I'm going to do something. 
well, that I'm not going to do that anymore, mm-hmm. which actually but I've learned a lot working in the coaching side of my business. I try to catch myself and any any coaching client. So we'll say I'm not going to, let's use a simple example. I'm not going to chew gum anymore. Mm. Okay. So rather than let that person, let that client leave my set, leave the session saying I am not going to chew gum anymore, my question to them is, so that's really good. You're releasing that. You're letting that go. What are you going to replace it with? Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I want them to leave my office saying, every time I get ready to chew gum, I do this instead. Right. Because otherwise it's, you know, a week later or two weeks later and they come in and they tell me all the times they chewed gum. And I didn't mean to do that. I thought I wasn't going to do that, but I did it anyway. And instead I want them to say, you know, in the last seven days I said an affirmation ten times. Right. Said and I said the affirmation that I am not a gum chewer, you know, 150 <laughs> times, and then they'll obviously want to say, "But I chewed gum, and I'll stop. Don't even tell me that. Don't even talk about it because you are replacing mm-hmm. that behavior that you don't want with a behavior that you do want, and that's all I want to hear about. I want to hear about what the successes. I don't want to hear about the failures because we're really trained well to focus on what we don't oh, do or on our right. failures. The one thing we didn't do, right? And right. We may have done the new behavior a hundred times and we did the old behavior five times and we think we didn't do anything good because mm-hmm. we did the old behavior still. Mm-hmm. Right. No. So uh, Lewis Mead, who has written several books about forgiveness, the the early one was forgive and forget, healing the hurts we don't deserve. And I love the summary. When we forgive, we perform a miracle mm. that hardly anyone notices because we do it alone. Mm. When we forgive, we do it alone. We Because even if I say the words to you, I forgive you, the actual act of forgiveness is That's something I do. Yeah. So we do it alone. We do it silently, mm-hmm. we do it invisibly, we do it freely, but when we forgive, we heal the hurt we never deserved. When we forgive, we perform a miracle hardly anyone notices. We do it alone in the private place of our inner self. We do it silently. No one can record our miracle on tape. We do it invisibly. No one can record our miracle on film. We do it freely. No one can ever trick us into forgiving someone. And we, But when we forgive, we heal the hurt we never deserved. And, you know, I, the, the, our show is Say Yes to Spirit, right? And so when I read that and think about that's what I expect from if, if I believed in an entity of God that was outside myself, and if I believe in an entity called God that lives within me, I expect it to forgive, and that's how it happens. It's alone, it's silent, mm-hmm. it's invisible, and it's done freely. There's no coercion, there's no forcing. It is a full forgiveness for giving that which didn't quite turn out the way I would have liked. You remember the way you split the word up there, for giving. Mm-hmm. I never really had heard that. Yes, I am. It is all about giving. Mm-hmm. Giving acceptance and giving love. That's fascinating. Isn't that funny? That might have been apparent to every other person listening, but not to me, that whole idea of giving in the word. That's fun. Well, there. Well, there you have it. There you go. And the idea that it's a miracle that, you know, and that we have, and my hunch is 
that it's the spirit within me when it's full full forgiveness that it's really spirit within me that's um healing me the human me to to kind of connect with the spirit within the other person it's kind of getting on that higher level of experience to have that full forgiveness it's a it is a spiritual or a miracle i like that i like him and it's interesting the title of it forgive and forget the woman the volunteer at the jail went through a long kind of trail of thinking you know does forgiving mean i forget does forgiving mean <laughs> that i accepted the unacceptable behavior when we attach all these different things to forgiveness that kind of muddies the spiritual piece of it all and to and to understand at the end of the day you know holding on to it is is really harming me. Yes, I'm the only one I'm harming when I am just so attached to all the bad things you did or said. I I remember in my um mid to late twenties how much better I felt about myself, about life, about the world in general. When I let go of all of the mm, you know, all of the hurts, many of which I knew were unintentional, mm-hmm. but I was not ever going to forgive, you know, this person for this and this person for that and this crazy person for this. And, you know, I had all kinds of attachments mm-hmm. to the hurt, which, of course, I didn't realize mm-hmm. initially. Um, and I did want apologies, and I did, you know, a- a- which was... Now, this is what's sick, and I think it's true for a lot of people. <laughs> I wanted apologies. So you could refuse it? Yes. <laughs> I wanted apologies That's so great. that I could see That's this person great. like beg for That's forgiveness. Great. But I was clear that even if once they did that. That's fantastic. Even once they did that. <laughs> It was like good for them. They went through, you know, like it was going to hurt them so much to have to apologize. And I still wasn't going to, you know, I, that wasn't that wasn't going to make a clean slate. Yeah, there you go. They needed to do something more than just Well, no, that. they didn't need to they do anything do else more, but I was going to hate them for the rest of my life. I mean, you know, like they can apologize and they need to apologize. And they need to be sincere. They need to be tears. Oh, my goodness. And all of that. And it won't matter because I will never have, you know. And when I look back, that is just, I feel like I need to take an emotional shower just hearing the words, (laughs) yes. And, you know, and it's funny because I can't even imagine that being that way or feeling that way now and... And even then, I was I was pretty mild mannered and even tempered. I mean, I wasn't that Externally, much different. No. Um, but yeah, I, and maybe that is the point. There was this internal. It wasn't. I wasn't that way with lots of people. Right. You know, but there were two or three people who it's like I had a, many years of you know resentment built. In mm-hmm. there's that word resentment, right, right? And I had compartmentalized it so that you know, 95 percent of the time I was this wonderful, loving person. As long as you didn't mention their name, or as long as I didn't have to interact with with those, you know, one of them, one of those people in that it's short list. So cute, one of them. That's, that's, that's yeah, so cute. one of the people in that very short uh-huh, list. Uh huh. Uh huh. But yeah, I, I can actually. I'm actually very pleased to be able to say that by the time I was in my late twenties, that was all done with. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, learned a lot about forgiveness in my twenties. Yeah, there's a you know the, obviously the classic fourth step in a in a twelve step program of you know making a list of all the people that I have harmed and becoming willing to make amends to them all, except when to do so would injure them or others. And um, 
So it's a fascinating concept of kind of taking a life, you know, a life reflection or, you know, looking back over time and seeing those that I have have harmed through my words or my deeds and going back and asking for amends. And I can remember in Al-Anon when I did a fourth step and I, you know, would write letters back to people or try to contact people, and this was long before there was Facebook or any way to really know, so half of the stuff I had to do was just, you know, letters that I never could mail because I didn't know where the people were. And I make it sound like there was a lot and it wasn't really that many, but anyway... Uh, you know, it was interesting that that sort of internal process of having to look at my behavior on its own and not being able to say, but you did this, and that made me do this. Right. And so it, I sat through a little bit of a session with a couple of women in jail after a class last week where there was an exchange of a woman had a book, and, you know, when you think about being in jail, any little tiny possession is gold and a woman had a book and somehow the other the other woman got it and then she gave it off to someone else without getting this woman's permission and so the two of them had this huge rift and feeling and anger and frustration and as much as I tried to get their language to go this reminds me of I'm so furious because I'm feeling all they could focus on was on the behavior of the other person mm-hmm. and I can remember making those amends and wanting to explain to my sponsor why I did the thing I did. There's complete reasonable explanation for why I had to act the way I had to act because exactly. this son of a bitch did this. And it's really fascinating when you take that out and just have to focus on my behavior. Man, I can be a crazy person. You know what I'm saying? If I don't have this excuse. And so how do I just really say, oh, I'm accountable for my behavior, period. Whatever you do is on you. But I, my reaction, my response, that's 100% on me, regardless of what you do. If if I, if you kick me and I kick you, I'm still 100% responsible for kicking you. I can't yeah, blame you. don't like that. I know. That's such a fascinating thing. But it's very empowering. It's very empowering. Or not. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, well, it gives, it does, it does, uh, it does give me uh, control. Is not the right word, but you know, I'm as happy as I choose to be. Yeah, that I am a hundred percent responsible and accountable for my happiness. how I show up and what I do. And yes, I'd like to believe that at this stage of my life and for a long time. I'd like to believe that if someone did something that really harmed me, that I could forgive them in in words, actions, and feelings. Right. And really step into that. Because I have said yes to spirit, I'm going to view this through the eyes of God. Yes, and that just changes everything. I view it through the eyes of God, you know, all bets are off, right? The human experience does not need to apply. So that's something to keep in mind this week about forgiveness. Let me see this. Anytime I am angry or resentful, let me view this situation through the eyes of God and walk in a way that demonstrates my forgiveness and God's forgiveness. <laughs> exactly right. Spirit, spirit. How does that apply? So that's all the time we have for forgiveness. Um, so please join us next time. We'll be talking about freedom and bring your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, freedom. <coughs> say say yes, yes to spirit. spirit.
Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.